0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the third Sunday of Epiphany, so we are still in that season where we are reflecting upon the ways that God has revealed Himself to the world, to the church, and the ways in which He is instructing us uh, to reveal Him, so that we are working in, in that process of revealing God and His love to the world. One of the ways in which and one of the times in which we see Jesus revealing himself uh, is in his baptism. And uh, we talked about that last week. And now following his baptism, uh, after he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan, the first thing that he does is uh, go into that northern coastline of Galilee and to preach. Uh, repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. So this is another way that Jesus is revealing himself and the gospel of salvation to the world. And then we see him reveal himself to the disciples, reveal himself to the apostles. So we're continuing to see how it is that God is making himself known. As we've talked before, every time we see Jesus change scenery, change location, we also get a theme change. So when he goes to a new place, uh, the theme of his teaching changes. This is the beginning of his ministry, and we read that the the theme of the preaching that he does, the beginning of this preaching, is this simple phrase: "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." And in many ways, we could say that is the the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of uh, Jesus's proclamation of what he's teaching. Uh, we know that when he he goes to, uh, very shortly after this to the mount and he gives that sermon. Uh, those first three beatitudes about uh, meekness and mourning are required for repentance. See, before we decide to change path, we have to grieve the path that we're on. We have to say it's the, the wrong path. And, and we have to see the sorrow that that path brings in order to bring us about to a place where we're willing to change and go in a new direction. The kingdom of heaven uh, then follows in that teaching where he talks about uh, the qualities of the kingdom of heaven and the qualities of those that uh, live in the kingdom of heaven, the qualities of righteousness and justice, of mercy, of grace. And so the kingdom of heaven is fleshed out and and the qualities of those that live in it. So you could say that all of that preaching is is gained and is uh, held in that one simple passage. The curious thing is where he decides to do it. We know that the, uh, that the coming of the Messiah is foretold and that Jesus fulfills this. The coming of the Messiah is the one who is supposed to take the seat of King David. He is the one who's supposed to, to come after King David. That's the one that's supposed to gather um, the nation, that's supposed to lead them into righteous victory. And so you would think that the the, the one who would take the throne of David would go to David's city, would go to Jerusalem, would go to, to David's palace, would go to the temple of Solomon. Uh, this would be the place where we would expect Jesus to go. Instead, he goes off to the, to the northern uh, portions of the former kingdom of Israel to this rural place where there's so much of the, the darkness of the ways of the Gentiles. We see so much of the demon possession and the, the, the rot of people's lives in this northern place. You'll remember that after King David in the United Kingdom and his son Solomon, we see Solomon's son Rehoboam, who's a fool and and leads the, the nation, this united kingdom of God, into civil war. And there's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah or Judea, where it is that Jesus is baptized and where Jerusalem is. The northern kingdom of Israel uh, is taken over by the Assyrians first. They're the first ones to fall by this foreign power, by these Gentiles. And uh, this is the region of Galilee, the region that becomes called Samaria, the Samaritans. And this is where Jesus decides to go to these cousins who have fallen away from the ways of God, to this place of darkness, to this rural area. The disciples that he meets at the Sea of Galilee already know him. You remember this from last week, that they had been following John. They had been disciples of John, and they had been there, Uh, especially Andrew and uh, John the Evangelist had been uh, following John the Baptist, and they called their brothers... You'll remember uh, James and Peter uh, to follow with them. And you remember that last week Jesus says to them, come and see. They ask him, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And that's the beginning of their association with Jesus. You remember that he, they just stay with him for several hours. They just stay with him uh, for that day. And then, of course, Jesus goes out into the wilderness for those 40 days of temptation. So now he's come back, and he's gone up to Galilee, where it is that these brothers are from, and he gathers them, and now he gives them a different call, where first he says to them, come and see, now he says to them, follow me so they are coming into a deeper form of discipleship. This is the pattern, the form of how it is that we too practice discipleship. This is how uh, we too learn to be followers of Christ. This is the pattern of all good apprentices and masters. The apprentice, when he goes to a master to learn any kind of a trade, first just watches the master do what the master does. That's really all the apprentice is good at, is just to watch. You might take out the trash occasionally, but other than that, you can only see what it is that the master is doing. And so that 's what they do initially when they uh, come and see. Right They watch what it is that Jesus is doing; they become familiar with him and with his message. The second thing that the Master then does is join in that trade. so he works alongside of the master. The apprentice uh, works side by side, hand in hand. so uh, first, the apprentice watches the master, then the master and the apprentice work together, and that 's what they 're going to do for the bulk of the gospel they 're following with Christ and they do the things that he 's doing. They help him feed the five thousand they baptize alongside of him. Uh, uh, they, they cast out demons and they do these works of miracles of healing alongside of him. Everything they do alongside. They take a, an additional step in discipleship when they go out on their own and then they come back. And that's the period where the master uh, says, you do and I'll watch. So first the apprentice watches the master, then the master and the apprentice work together, and then the master watches the apprentice. And so you'll see at the end where uh, the disciples start to do some of this ministry on their own until they're finally sent out into the world. And this is the pattern that we follow in, in our lives. We are constantly in this pattern of seeing what God does, working alongside of Him, and then reporting back, right, in prayer. We're constantly in that pattern of, of watching what the Lord is doing, watching what other disciples of His are doing, participating, and then uh, we have a new season, a new period of, of watching or reporting in. Of course, the Master never leaves us and we never leave Him. But we're also in that new cycle of of coming into a deeper knowledge and a deeper experience of Christ. This is, in a familiar way, the same path that the prophet Amos takes. The prophet Amos does the same thing that we then see Christ doing, 700 and some years before him. Amos too is from Judea. He's from that southern kingdom. And he too goes to the northern kingdom. Uh, He's called by God to go to uh, the kingdom that's not his own, to go to this northern country, to to warn that northern kingdom. And Amos is is one of my favorite prophets. He's a working man. He's a dresser of sycamore trees. He's a shepherd. Uh, He's just a common man of the fields and of the land. And his images that we read here are those common common images they're like reading Aesop's fables or any kind of other familiar parable right about uh, two that are walking together the calling of the lion or uh, all of these wonderful familiar ways of of bringing to us the knowledge of the kingdom of God So he goes to these foreigners, he goes to these cousins of his that have gone astray and he calls them back. He calls them back into unity and fellowship with God and and he says that the the, the Lord brought the whole family out. He says something really strange. He says that this is the only family that the Lord has known. Does that mean that the Lord doesn't know about other families in the world? No, of course it doesn't mean that. It means that they were known by him in familiarity, that they had this familiar connection. And so the Lord sees them not just as a nation, not just as as a people group but as a family and he's addressing them as their father so this is a father who said this is my family I, I made you a family I've known you and I'm bringing you back to me So he calls them back, and he calls them back as children. He says at the end of this passage, they don't know how to do what is right. So it's a question of teaching them to do the right way, to call them back into that apprenticeship, that discipleship, to teach them the ways of God. They have to be informed. And the warning and repentance is always of consequence right? We change paths, we look at the path that we're on, and we begin to grieve, we begin to understand the consequences of the way that we've been living our lives, and then we realize, oh, the Lord is leading me in a new direction. Right? Repentance for a Christian is something, hopefully, that we're doing every day. Right? We're always supposed to be re-looking at the way that we're living and, and getting that new instruction and in how to live according to God's ways. To be called back as children uh, by a loving Father who would teach us the right ways of living. This is exactly what St. Paul is doing in his letter to the Corinthians. He's treating the Corinthians as his children, and he's warning them against doing things that are going to be harmful to their church family. He says that you're starting to baptize and call each other uh, by the name of the apostle that baptized you. We're baptized in the name of Christ, and so he's pleading for the unity of the church and for there to be no division. That needs to be a plea that we hear Uh, today at Jesus the Good Shepherd, that we need to be warned against that kind of a division. It's a paradox to say, I love being an Anglican because of our desire for unity, because just to be an Anglican means we're in a kind of a party division, isn't it? It's the reality of the church and the times that we live in, right? There is division in the church. There's no way that we can get out of that. There's no way that we can get around that. Our job is to mourn that. And our job is to be, while mourning that, to be working for unity in the body of Christ. To me, I think that being an Anglican puts us in a wonderful unique place to be working towards that unity. We say as Anglicans that there is no doctrine that's peculiar to us. We have no doctrine that's peculiar to Anglicanism. Everything that we teach should be familiar to the Roman Catholics, it should be familiar to the Orthodox, it should be familiar to Protestants. There's nothing that we do that we should be able to say is unique. And because of our desire to to bring ourselves into that wide place and to be able to gather and join hands with our brothers and sisters around the world Uh, hopefully that gives us a a heart and a way of, of facilitating the unity of the body of christ when we baptize we don't baptize people into the anglican church we don't baptize people as anglicans we baptize them into the one holy catholic and apostolic church that's the mission that we've been given and a unique and wonderful one as well And St. Paul, while teaching this unity, says that the unity that we're looking for, that we're striving for always, is for the mind and the judgment of Christ. The unity that we want is the unity of the mind and the judgment of Christ. So we all are seeking to dwell in and to explore the mind of Christ. How do we do that? How do we come into the mind of Christ? We do it through the daily practice of prayer, the reading of scripture, the work that's been given to us both for our families and in the church, and for the rest that we're given in Christ. So daily reading of scripture, daily prayer, daily work, and daily rest. And if we are all together dedicating ourselves to to that regular study and that regular seeking of the mind of Christ, the unity that we find won't be between one another, but it will be in Christ. We're joined in Him and by Him. It still seems strange to me that He goes north. Every time I read that, I think, really, you're going to go to Galilee? All the actions in Jerusalem... This is where the scribes and the Pharisees are. This is eventually where he's going to die. Why spend all that time walking? Right? I mean, he's constantly traveling. And not only does he find himself in these rural, remote places where he's preaching on the the shore side, and he's preaching in these remote, obscure villages, but then once a crowd gathers, what does he do? He always goes away. Every time a good group gets together, he leaves. He leaves and he goes off by himself. You're not gonna find this in any leadership books, right? He goes to the remote place, the place of darkness, and then as soon as they start to get on the same page and there starts to be a groundswell, he goes. There's a message there for us, isn't there? Number one, I think, the Lord isn't sending us where the world thinks we should go. The world is gonna tell us to go to the, the happening place, right, the place where there's something going on, the place of movement, the place of power, right? If you want something done, go to the seat of power. He does the opposite because he's got everything that he needs and so do we. The kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is within us, the Holy Spirit's been given to us. We don't need to go looking for anything. We've got everything that we need. We're supposed to be taking that light into the darkness, looking for the dark places. He sent us to Las Vegas. Plenty of opportunity. And then once we're there, we're supposed to illumine that that light. We're supposed to shine forth that light. And we're able to do that when we've been regularly been fed upon His Word and sacraments. We're coming here for that fuel, for that food for that refreshment in Scripture, for that refreshment of the Holy Spirit and of His body and blood so that we can take that light into the world. And just when there's a groundswell, just when there's an explosion, just when there's activity, that's when the Lord quite often is going to say, now it's time to go rest. Our temptation is to press harder and work. He's going to say, take a step back and rest and wait upon me. May we find unity in his mind, unity in his judgment, unity in his church. May we be joined together in his kingdom this day and forevermore.